Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about booster brain power is Kathy Richards. Kathy is an exercise physiologist, wellness coach, and best-selling author of Boom, Six Steps to a Longer, Healthier Life. After working with a range of ages from college students all the way to older adults, Kathy focuses on maximizing physical health, brain function, and energy levels for all ages with a unique message of never too early, never too late. How are you doing today, Kathy? Oh, I'm great, Jason. It's great to be here with you. Thank you so much. Looking forward. This is a return visit, so excited to have you back. Um, a little housekeeping before we get started. For those that are joining us for the live webinar, if you have any questions, uh, type your questions in, time permitting. We will do everything in our power to get your questions answered. So, Kathy, there's been a lot of uh, talk about brain fitness these days and the importance of it, especially as it relates to healthy aging. Why all the attention? Well, you know, brain fitness is totally in the news all the time, as you mentioned. And what, what's spurring it on, really, if you think about it, it, it comes down to independence. It comes down to wanting to be able to make decisions for yourself at any age and as we age. And we might have witnessed loved ones or family members who had dementia, some form of dementia, and noticed the changes that they went through and the struggles they went through and the struggles that you might have had with them as a caregiver we know that as we age, there is sometimes a little bit of loss of mental clarity, memory processing, um, and we just want to try to prevent that as much as possible so that we can age as healthfully as possible. Dementia is really on the rise, and let's you know we want to do whatever we can to prevent our, our, our um, that for ourselves and our loved ones. Yeah. So we'll talk about just natural changes in the brain as we as we age. What are some of those natural changes, Kathy? Well, our brain shrinks quite, you know, specifically the, the brain, our brain volume decreases a bit, especially in the frontal cortex. And so our sleep, our thinking just slows down a little bit. The neurons in our brain are firing a little more slowly. There's a, there's some physiological changes in those nerve cells so that everything is sometimes just a little bit slower, it takes us just maybe a little bit longer occasionally to grab that phrase that we want to say. Um, or to remember certain things. So just some minor changes that occur as we age due to the, the shrinking and the, and the aging of our brain cells. What a shift to memory loss. As, as you can imagine, as we all get older, sometimes I think we get concerned, maybe we forget where the keys are or whatever. When should we start to kind of worry about memory loss, Kathy? Well, you know, there's a, a funny saying that goes with when to worry about memory loss. If you're concerned about your memory loss, it's probably fine. If someone else is concerned about your memory loss, then it's probably not fine. And so really, um, you already gave a great example. If you forget where your keys are, that's normal. That's normal, mild cognitive changes that may happen as we age. If you can, especially if you can then retrace your steps, if you say to yourself, hmm, well, they were in my pocket and then I went here and, and end up finding them, then that's part of, of just regular everyday cognitive um, mild changes. If, you, if it gets to the point where your memory loss is interfering with daily activities, where you can't retrace your steps or you, you can't um, keep commitments that you've had, or perhaps if you're having trouble with completing regular daily tasks, if you are having difficulty solving problems. Um, I'll give you an example that my mom is, suffers from dementia. And in the beginning, the first few things that happened that made us realize, you know, 
this isn't just quite normal. She would swap words. Like she would tell me the very first thing she said to me that was completely off is when she said goodbye to me um, on Christmas Eve a few years ago, she said, oh, and Kathy, I really love your hat. And I wasn't wearing a hat. I never wear hats. And she meant the meal. She meant she had a good time, but she, she just, she said the wrong word. And then it got to the point where we had a, um, a baby shower, family baby shower, and, and she was supposed to be cutting the rolls. She couldn't complete the task. She kept forgetting what she was supposed to do. She, it just, she just, she couldn't put the steps together of what she would need to do. Or you don't recall how a clock face is supposed to look. That's one of the tests a lot of times when you bring your loved one to, to a doctor and they'll say, can you draw a clock face? My mom couldn't. She, she couldn't remember where the numbers went or how many numbers there were supposed to be. So it, it becomes quite apparent when something's a little more than just forgetting where your keys are. And it's safe to say, Kathy, that everybody's different. So the symptoms that your mom experienced is not going to be the same for a loved one that I have. No, it's not. But, you know, one of the things you can do, I would I would suggest going to the Alzheimer's Association website and they list like 12 things to look for, like things like confusion about time and place, um, new problems with words and not just can't grab a word, but really can't grab phrases and words and really has difficulty putting a sentence together. Um, having poor judgment where, you know, that's un, that's not what you're used to, that that's um, new bad judgment. <laughs> Do we know, Kathy, if people are having cognitive decline uh, individually or is it somebody else that always has to recognize it? You know, um, that is 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 um, individual. There are some people, in, and sometimes it depends on the kind of dementia that you have or are aware of their memory loss. Um, especially when I was working with older adults, I was I was in um, a setting where I was a director of wellness with over twelve hundred. Um, people with the average age of 85. I certainly had people come to me and say, you know, I'm, ha you know, I'm having difficulty. You're going to have to repeat things. And they kind of know their process. And then there are other people who really aren't aware. They really aren't aware of what they're forgetting or they're in denial. And they're, and they would, I've had someone say, oh, I've been a C student all my life. I, I, I just, I'm just not that bright, you know? So, I mean, it really runs the full gamut there. Yeah. What are some ways that we can reduce our risk of cognitive decline as we age? Well, you know, um, I'm glad that you asked because dementia is a disease process that's separate from mild cognitive changes as we age. And about 40% of us will experience at least some mild cognitive changes as we age. Um, and it's it's not, not necessarily significant memory loss. But what we can do to reduce our risk are to to engage in certain healthy habits that really feed our brain. So there are, I have like 12 tips, and I think today we were gonna talk about three of them, right? Because yeah. <laughs> we could all yes. 12, that would be- We could do really 12, we could be here for hours. <laughs> we could be here for hours. So, you know, the term neuroplasticity is a term that, that a lot of people are already familiar with, which really means that your brain cells can grow, can change, can respond to training, as we age at, at really advanced ages. So that's the first wonderful key is knowing that we can have our help our brain cells, uh, our brain cells grow because we do have that. There is that shrinkage, natural shrinkage as we age. So if we're doing things that are going to help build and protect our brain cells as we age, we can really have um, a positive impact and reduce our risk. And the first thing is exercise. Absolutely. 
So, and I, and I actually want to mention, Jason, a little bit of crossover here. Um, when I was with you last time, we were talking about four factors that reduce fatigue. Absolutely. And the crossover here is exercise helps reduce fatigue and helps your brain. So that's why I, I talk about exercise so much because I call it the magic pill. My book, Boom, is, is about primarily exercise because it has so many broad benefits for for um, how it improves our health. So specifically exercise helps our brain because you're gonna have increased blood flow, increased oxygen to those brain cells to allow them to grow and to re reju rejuvenate and to regenerate themselves. So um, it's really increases that, that, that blood flow can decrease our risk of dementia by up to 40%. It's an amazing statistic right there. Yeah. Sticking to exercise, um... I assume we're not talking about just physical exercise. Are we also talking about mental exercise or mental exercise as well, like maybe crossword puzzles or stuff like that? Well, that's actually another separate strategy. The physical oh. exercise even has more benefit reducing okay. our our risk of dementia by um, by itself. Physical exercise all by itself. The other thing physical exercise does is it reduces our risk of depression. It reduces high cholesterol, which are also both linked to memory loss. So, um, but doing brain exercises does work that muscle. It does work your brain cells. So that is a separate okay. um, thing that helps improve our brain function as we age. And then if you combine them, that's actually another separate strategy. You might um, see people who are who taking a class that might involve solving a brain puzzle and then physical exercise, solving another brain puzzle, and then another bout of physical exercise, or a little bit easier, because that, that can be, you know, the back and forth is, is one exercise class model, but a physical exercise that requires you to use your brain at the same time is, is you know, again, we're doubling our benefits there. That would be something like taking a dance class, where you have to follow along the moves while you're moving your body. So you're getting the physical exercise, benefit for your brain and you're making your brain work at the same time so that is one phenomenal way to improve your brain power i would like to stay with the physical exercise if we could kathy so you had mentioned dance so what if you have somebody just says look i, I don't want to run or i don't want to do a stair climber or what other types of physical exercises do you recommend i mean dancing like you said it it, it kind of it marries the the physical and the mental aspect of it even walking you know, um, walking is, is wonderful, stretching. I'm a huge supporter of strength training, especially as we age, and strength training doesn't have to be complicated. It can be something that's done with just a couple of inexpensive things you have at home that would be either small dumbbells or exercise tubing, or even, you know, you, you hear about people doing things with laundry um, jugs or soup cans as, you know, finding some level of resistance. So. I love to, to promote exercise routines that are sm small, short, reasonable, um, but still increase that blood flow to our brain and give us both the physical and the cognitive benefits that we need. It, it seems like you, whenever I read an article about exercise, it almost seems like it's a, a, a they're moving the goalpost on us as far as how much exercise we need, how much strength training do we need? What do you recommend to your clients and, and with your book? Well, you know, I have a four level system in my book. I start with level one, which is just move. You know, don't keep track of anything. If you're someone who feels allergic to exercise, you never wanted to do it, you never liked it, 
I just want you to move just a little bit. You know, it doesn't have to be a lot. So that's why your question is frustrating to me when people wonder how much. Because as an exercise physiologist, I've seen it come and go, the different recommendations. And I like to say it doesn't matter what the recommendations okay. are right now. Because they're going to change next year. Just do a little. And if you like doing a little more, then do a little more. And then I've got level two. I've got level three. And I have level four for the people who love it like a hobby. So it's really about finding the best fit for you. You can go up a few notches. You can go down a few notches based on the time available to you and your interest level. So uh, I'm less concerned with um, how much. I'm more concerned with people saying, you know what? I'm ready to jump on board and do a little, even if it's a five-minute walk after dinner. And then let that grow and evolve over time. And, and then as they're aging, let's just say they're getting into the 70s or 80s. How much should they think to themselves, I need to maybe scale back or maybe scale up my exercise? Or is it just you know person to person? It is person to person because in working with older adults, um, I have seen 75, 80 year olds who can do more than some 40 year olds that I know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really about how you've lived your life and how strong your muscles are, how strong your joints are. So exercise should always feel like it's somewhat hard. Like you want to push yourself a bit, never to the point of pain, especially joint pain. It should feel somewhat challenging, but doable. So that is, is pretty much the key there is that um, if something feels too easy, we usually know that, you know, it's um, in self-selecting our exercise level. If something feels really hard, then that's too much. Yeah. So we, we're looking for right down the middle. Um, even a little bit is great. And then usually your capacity will grow at the more you exercise. So the more fit you are, the more you need to do to get more fit. So, yeah. um, but you can also just, have your goal to sustain your fitness level. You don't always have to be trying to improve it. I think just maintaining a certain level of flexibility and mobility um, is really important. So you want to go, you know, when people pick up tiny dumbbells that they know are way too easy for them, you should know instinctively, it's probably not much benefit coming here if I could do this a billion times. So um, that's why in my book, I do go through how to find what the right intensity is for you. Yeah. Last question on exercise. As you know, with COVID going on, what are you what are you seeing from past, future clients um, and current clients as far as their ability to exercise, or you know how COVID is impacting that? Well, yeah, COVID obviously has impacted people greatly, but in a way, it's it's opened up a whole new world of people being comfortable with Zoom workouts or, or you know, online things that they're doing at home. I've always been a big supporter of home exercise because it's convenient and it's easy. People don't have to go somewhere else, especially as we age and with winter weather, you don't really want to go somewhere anyway. It'd be nice to be able to do something right in your own home. So I think that... that um, so many programs now are offering online um, ways that they can access them. And I'm doing I'm doing lots of online personal fitness training. I have online group coaching programs and online other fitness offerings right now that I'm offering it to all different age groups. And so business is really still booming for fitness. It's just a, a matter of switching mm -hmm. and remembering that just like with anything that comes with life, we have to be agile. We have to be able to switch switch gears. Um, and I think that um, exercising at home is just still lots of great opportunities for that. Yeah. All right, let's move to another strategy. I want to kind of focus on healthy eating and the role that it plays as we age. That's fantastic. And again, just like beating fatigue, our nutrition is important for our healthy brain. And I like to use the term superfoods. 
which are a list of foods and um, that really help our brain power. And they don't just help our brain power because a lot of times people say, oh, I'm supposed to eat a lot of blueberries, right? And you know that's the, the food that gets out there for some reason. And it's because berries in general, um, other kinds of berries too, not just blueberries, um, have a lot of kinds of vitamins and minerals that promote our, our brain health. So anytime we're looking at fruits and vegetables, those are way up there. So things like broccoli, sweet potatoes, red peppers, colorful fruits and vegetables are going to have those antioxidants that really help with our brain power. I also like to um, add to that list the healthy fats like avocado, um, lean proteins like salmon and having um, nuts in your diet and whole grains. Um, plant-based proteins like lentils, edamame, so um, quinoa. These are the foods that I think are like on my big, big favorite special list that I call the superfoods. And the good thing about the superfoods is that the more often we eat those type of items, it provides less opportunity to eat the less virtuous foods. Yeah. Do antioxidants help brain activity? Um, you know, I'm not a registered dietitian, so okay. the actual process of how they help is not my expertise. Okay. Um, so I love to stick with just the practical, which is, you know, we know that these foods help our brain power. We know that we're, we're giving our brain that the kind of nourishment that helps it function on all cylinders. So the exact process, I'm not, I'm not, not someone that's the big Got expert. Got it. Understand. Uh, want to move to another strategy which is uh sleep and the impact it has mm -hmm. yeah and sleep is super important for brain power and i love to to highlight that because a lot of times we don't give it the credit that it's due we we tend to talk a lot about eating and exercise but sleep tends to be an afterthought and i i think that it's actually going to become one of the biggest wellness trends um in the coming years when we're sleeping that is a time when our body is really able to focus on memory consolidation. Our cells are able to rejuvenate and refresh themselves. Uh, one of the stress hormones, especially cortisol, tends to be at its lowest level while we're sleeping. And so that, that allows our body to rejuvenate itself when, our, when those cortisol levels are at its lowest. Even if we're, we're not under stress where cortisol levels are at its highest, even just when we're awake, cortisol levels are higher than when we're asleep and our body depends on having an extended amount of time with low cortisol levels in order to have that cell regeneration. Um, the other thing that happens while we sleep is that we have an increase in um, kind of the, the fluids that flush out our brain and therefore we, um, there is evidence that while we're sleeping that we, when you get enough sleep, you're able to have your brain clear out some of the toxins, which are related to plaque development, mm -hmm. which has been linked to Alzheimer's disease. So we really have just a lot of reasons to think about the importance of sleep with regard to, to brain power. And I apologize, I don't remember exactly the terminology, but in the last webinar we did together, you said sometimes people are just playing catch up on their sleep. Um, you know, they're not getting sleep and they're trying to play catch up. How does that work? You know, um, sleep, you, you can and you can't catch up on sleep. You can catch up in a short term. Like, obviously, if you stayed up super late, you are going to want to sleep in longer the next day or two. 
Um, and that is going to help you feel more normal again, because we all feel terrible after a couple of nights of bad sleep. And we do need to catch up on that sleep. But when you think about the long-term strategies for our brain health and for our overall physical health, our bodies need a more consistent sleep time and wake time. And so it's that consistency of getting between seven and nine hours of sleep that is going to give us the most benefit. So what we don't want to do is tell ourselves, you know, during the week, I, I, I tend to get five hours of sleep and I always sleep like nine or 10 hours on the weekends. That's not as good for our body. Um, research shows that having that consistent amount of sleep is, is really where, where the magic happens. What about the magic of naps? Does that help you? <laughs> yeah, the magic of naps. Are we, we, we quoting new phrases here, Jason? Absolutely. That's a, that's, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> it can. What, what, what you, we need to be careful of with sleep is that naps, when they're short, tend to make us feel rejuvenated. When naps are longer, that sometimes they they tend to make a, we wake up feeling groggier and then they can interfere with our the sleep we get in the eve you know at night. So the problem at night when people have poor sleep, let's say someone wakes up frequently during the night or has difficulty falling asleep, those can both be kind of separate problems. But what what can happen is that if you don't get into the deep REM sleep or you don't spend long enough in the deep stages of sleep, that's when you might wake up and not feel refreshed, not feel rejuvenated. So um, there are, and I'm not a huge sleep expert, but I'm getting more and more to be a sleep expert. I'm doing more research on it all the time because as I said, I think it's gonna be one of the next biggest wellness trends. We don't, it's not just the amount of sleep, it's the quality of sleep and the, and the, uh, the amount of, of continuous sleep hours that we get. So we do know that multiple naps is not the same, doesn't give us the same benefit as your one long night of sleeping. Yeah. I know we've covered the, the three strategies. Are there any other strategies that you have that you know might be a little surprising to people? The big one I love to talk about, Jason, is healthy hearing. We are, um, many people do not know the link between our hearing and our risk of dementia. Even mild hearing loss doubles our risk of dementia. And that's, I mean, that statistic alone is, is you know, should have us sit up and take notice. When you have moderate hearing loss, it triples your risk of dementia and significant hearing loss puts you at five times the risk of dementia. Wow. You know, and the reason should, once we think about it, it really should make a lot of sense that when you are denying your brain of sensory input, that's what hearing loss does, right? You're not getting messages in, brain cells decide, hmm, guess I'm not really quite needed. You know, brain cells start dying. Um, and then you behaviorally start deciding, you know what, I'm just gonna start tuning out. Even if you're not consciously doing it, when you're not hearing and when you've said, you've asked someone to repeat themselves one time and then they said it again, you still didn't hear them, you're not gonna ask them to repeat themselves again. You're gonna smile and nod and then the next time you're gonna stay home. And so when we, then it, it can snowball into social isolation and depression and just again, lower amounts of brain stimulation, which allows those brain cells to, um, to have reduced uh, function. So over time, and the average person waits seven years of experiencing hearing loss before they seek help. And only a small fraction of people ever seek help with hearing aids. And so um, that's actually a huge call to action to get your hearing tested and to seek intervention um, and not to fall, you know, victim of, first of all, the stigma 
there is a, such a stigma about hearing loss as we age. People sometimes even get hearing aids and then they don't want to wear them because they think it makes them look old. You know, and it's like, so we're sacrificing our brain function for, for vanity. And why don't eyeglasses have the same stigma? Why, we don't, you know, most of us experience eye changes as we age and, and or we see someone with glasses, we don't think twice about it, but we somehow we're, we're thinking that, you know, we're too proud to wear hearing aids or that if someone is wearing a hearing aid, that's, you know, something we, we don't want. Um, or hearing aids can be uncomfortable. They require tweaking. They require maintenance, continual maintenance, and a relationship with an audiologist. So it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a commitment to protect your hearing. You, you, it takes some a little more work than it does to address your vision vision problems. But we really can't afford not to because the, the, the effect on our brain and the effect on our overall quality of life as we age and our ability to participate in life fully is significantly impacted. Yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about your book, um, how that kind of got started, and um, kind of what you've learned in, in, in this book. Well, Boom came about after I spent first a big portion of my career in corporate wellness, and then I went to senior wellness. And as I worked with seniors for eight years, as I mentioned, with 1,200 people, average age of 85, I wanted to bring messages back to younger generations and also still talk to the older adults with that message of never too early, never too late. And my message in Boom is that there are six steps that if we take advantage of these behaviors that, that are really small and doable, that we can improve our quality of life now and as we age. So I love to ask people when I meet them and when I, when I do my, my talks, you know, what type of 85-year-old do you want to be? And that's even applicable if you're already 85. <laughs> you can still ask yourself, what, you know, what do I want in my life? Because your habits right now are what's going to get you there for the good or for the bad. So I, I love for us to look at what are the things, six steps to a longer, healthier life that we can embrace now because it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be a lot. And um, we really can't afford not to. So when my book launched last year, um, it was downloaded over 4,000 times in the first week. It hit Amazon bestseller. It's now available on Amazon. Uh, it's available. There's a link on my website to to um, it on Amazon. And um, it's just been um, wonderful to be able to put into, into kind of some succinct steps how we can improve our aging process. So... As an expert, I'm going to just ask you some of the feedback, feedback that you've received from your readers and others. Is there anything that surprised you that maybe surprised them about reading your book? You know, I think it was that never too late is where people have found the most surprise. So many people think I'm too old and it's too late. <laughs> you know, that, um, that there are certain things that are just part of aging. And you know, the thing that people are most surprised with that I love to help um, promote the message of is that most of the changes, a lot of the changes that we associate with aging are not linked to the physiological aging process, but the gradual inactivity that typically comes with aging so that it is avoidable. We can enjoy a fantastic quality of life and that our brain cells and our the rest of our body respond to habit changes at any ages. I've worked with people in the well into their 90s who have changed some habits and and, and uh, benefited from an improved quality of life. So it is indeed never too late. And so um, I, I love to to um, 
to help um, share that message for sure. The interesting thing is you talked about the things are continually evolving, but don't wait on your body. Don't just assume it's just aging and it's going to happen, but be proactive, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely proactive. You know, small steps can yield significant benefits. So we need to be proactive. And we also, I like to involve our family members. I like to involve care partners in this because we all succeed in changing our habits more successfully when it is when we have community, when we have friends, family, when we're doing this as just part of our lifestyle versus just something I'm doing on my own without involvement of anybody else. I like the idea about getting your family involved. Is that something that you've heard as far as some feedback from uh, from readers? I have, you know, and especially like I'll consider myself like I have high school, college age kids, young adult kids, and I've got my parents who are in their 80s. And um, I also have people who have written to me again, talking about whether they're, they themselves are in this quote unquote sandwich generation mm. or they are someone who is already who is in their 70s or 80s and said, you know what, I want to share this with my daughter or my son and who are in their 40s and 50s because I want them to to be aging as healthy as possible too. So we we, you know, we, we care about our family members, we want the best for them, and so um, it's nice to involve um, generations around you um, in the process, for sure. Excellent. That's what told me. Very good. Well, how can people find you? They can find me at kathyrichards.net, and that's Kathy with a C. Um, and also, I have a, a special free download for your listeners at kathyrichards.net forward slash brain power. That is a summary of what we've talked about today, including all 12 of the strategies that um, can lead to better brain power. So you can also follow me on social media. I am at Inspiring Vitality on both Instagram and Facebook. So I have lots of free programs available. I would love for your listeners to uh, reach out to me, um, follow me, send me a message, and let me know how I can help you. And I will, I will attest, you are, are very active on social media, and um, so I encourage people to definitely follow you. Um, as far as knowledgeable aging, uh, thank you for attending our live webinar. We, uh, our goal is to have two to three live webinars each week. Uh, if you have some time, go to our YouTube page, uh, subscribe. Uh, we are updating our YouTube page with full webinars and clips about four to five times per week. If you're a podcast listener, check us out on Spotify, iTunes, etc. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.